sign up for a group, let us know if you're interested in baptism. And now, the message for this morning. Psalm chapter 46, verse 10. Can anybody quote this verse? We've been in it for like the past four weeks in a row, and it's just one verse. Anybody? Fantastic. Grace is like rattling it off up here. Yeah, yeah. Let's all say it together. It's be still and know that I am God. So here we go. Be still and know that I am God. So we have been uh, taking this verse and taking it as a whole, and then we've been dropping one word or, or a phrase off of it at a time and just kind of taking what's left of that phrase as a message. So we've done be still and know that I'm God, and then we did be still and know that I am, and then we did be still and know last week. And this week, if you drop off the word know, it's just this two-word phrase, be still. seriously thought about just leaving it there and sitting down. It was the easiest sermon ever, right? Uh, Be still. Unfortunately, it's like the hardest sermon ever because it is hard to be still. Have you noticed this? Um, And so I want to just like, like, just get this out of the way at the beginning that I personally was wrestling with this message this week. And you'll probably hear that coming through. And if it sounds like I'm preaching hard at any point, like, like at somebody, it's at me. Okay. So I'm not like waving fingers at you guys. Although my guess is that we are reaching epidemic levels of inability to be still in our culture. I don't think it's just me. I think that we really, really struggle with this, that as a culture, uh, which we're a part of, we struggle mightily with worrying about everything and being distracted by everything else. <laughs> like it's one way or another. We're like, you know, little hamsters running around uh, or, or like that dog, squirrel, squirrel. Uh, you, everybody knows that one. All right, so uh, it, it's, it's hard to be still. There's so many things to be worried about, so many things to be distracted by. Uh, if you just think about the way that a lot of us wake up in the morning and start off our day, one of the first things we do is we reach over to the nightstand or whatever and grab the cell phone. And already, before we've even rolled out of bed, there are probably 20 emails in your inbox and 10 notifications on your phone from 14 different apps and all your different Candy Crush nonsense that you're, you're whatever game it is. I, I say that, but I have my own games that I've got all my notifications, you know, and you've got to check these things off and then you've got to refresh your news feed and see all of the stories that you've missed out on while you were so irresponsibly sleeping and uh, and, and losing out on what was happening with the world. And, and so you got to get up to speed and, and, and clear all your notifications, which will not stop for the rest of the day. They'll keep coming at you, right? So you'll keep bing, ding, whatever sounds you've got or vibrations, they'll co- keep coming at you because you've got that s- cell phone with you, most of you, throughout the rest of the day. And then you, you go to work and you're driving there, you've got radio on and it's got advertisements and you're driving there. Maybe you've got billboards flying past you and you're seeing all these ads and maybe you're staying home and, and you turn the TV on and, and just the morning news shows and the advertisements and the news is telling you what to worry about and the advertisements are telling you what to be distracted by. I mean, this is just kind of the way things go. By the way, I, I read a statistic this morning. It's kind of an estimate, but they, they estimate that in our current time, 
each one of us will see between 5,000 and 10,000 advertisements every day. Can you even believe that? Do we, can we even process that? Do we even know what to do with all of that? It's just like white noise, right? But it's something to be distracted by all the time. 40 years ago, the average was 500. So we're 10 to 20 times beyond that. And, and 40 years ago, I mean, that was Mad Men era. I mean, they were working hard at it then, right? And now, now here, we're just like, it's more than we can possibly handle coming at us. I read another statistic that, uh, that most of us on average will spend 10 hours a day in front of a screen. The phone or a TV or a computer, 10 hours now, if you do some like reduction math and, and look at the things that you have to do, like eat and sleep and um, make your bed, you know, that's negotiable, uh, and, and like do the laundry and like do your household stuff and, and the things that you need to do, and then it leaves us in a typical work week with about 58 hours of recreational time or, or like just time that we can do what we want with. And we're spending 50 hours of that in front of screens. We are worried and distracted by many things. Some studies were shown that we, on average, will touch our phones in some meaningful way, not just like moving it from one place to another, but like touching it, swiping, deleting, tapping, texting, something. Um, anybody want to guess how many times a day? Nobody does. We all want to crawl under our chairs right now. 2,000? 167 times you interact with your phone uh, on a given day. Uh, I, Apple, Apple themselves say that we will pull out our phone out of our pocket or our purse or whatever and, and unlock it over 80 times a day. And what that means is that we are engaging. We're not just unlocking it to look at the time because that's there, right? We're engaging in a session, uh, a, a smartphone session. Right? So we're going to open up all of our apps and refresh our feeds and clear out all of our notifications and Snapchat all of our people and Instagram, you know, all that different kind of stuff. And, and we're going to do all of those things 80, 80 times a day. And here we have the psalm telling us, be still. Do we even know how anymore? I mean, think about the change in human behavior from even 15 years ago when we were all carrying pagers around, you know, like uh, just think about the difference in, in like literally what it looks like to be a human being today, how different and how fast we've gone in 15 years from every other human being that's ever existed on the face of the planet. It's tough. It's difficult to be still. And underneath all of this kind of behavior, there is this myth somewhere below the surface. And this myth says, if you miss that notification, if you don't clear out those likes on Facebook and so that they're not highlighted, if you don't refresh that news feed, if you don't respond to that email, if you don't uh, answer that advertisement, if you don't buy that thing or go on that you know, vacation that people are asking you, if you don't give your attention to these things right now, the world is going to fall apart. We all laugh. We're like, come on, Eric. You know, that's exaggerating. But think about this. Uh, yeah, obviously the world's not going to fall apart if I don't do that. But think about like if aliens like landed on the planet, you know, and they just watched us go throughout our day and how obsessively 
we check these things and we watch and we're distracted and we zone. If they were looking at it without any context, they would think they're keeping the world spinning. They must be keeping the world spinning because what could possibly be this important to garner this much of their attention, right? So it's a silly thing, but our actions betray that underlying myth that somehow we feel like things are going to start to unravel if we're not on top of it right now at every given moment. But here's this fundamental Christian belief that gets thrown into the middle of all that. You and me, we don't hold the world together. It's not going to be kept spinning by our ability to make sure that we're up on the latest and greatest thing that's coming out or or coming our way or absorbing all of these different things. The world is held together and was made by the creator. God. He made it and he holds it together. That's not our job. And while our work is important and valuable, our worry and distractions are not when it comes to keeping everything going. See, this is, um, this is a part of this, this fundamental kind of lie that we buy into, that we've got to be consciously working on all of these things all the time. But God made the world, and he made it to work differently, and he put, it, he put us in it so that we would be able to function according to the rhythm. Listen, even God, who made the entire universe, took the seventh day and was still. God, after he had created all these things, called the seventh day holy, and he rested from all his work on this day. And here's the beautiful thing about this. God sits down and rests, and he's not like, at at this point, he's like, well, somebody's got to do something. So Adam and Eve, you guys are going to have to pick up the slack. I'm taking the day off. You know, it's not like like that kind of deal where God's like, you guys are going to have to do it now because I'm off. That's not what God does. God, then in this moment, when he rests, he graciously invites his people to be a part of that Sabbath rest with him. Even builds it into the Ten Commandments. Remember the Sabbath day. Keep it holy. Don't do any work on it. It's a day of rest. It's a day of worship. It's a day given a a part to to me. And, And all of this is built into the fabric of the rhythm of creation. We work for six days. We contribute for six days. And then we stop. And that's on a weekly level, but in the scriptures, we find all kinds of these rhythms that, that apply to human life. God, on kind of a macro level, talks about these, uh, 40, these seven, um, seven years of seven, seven times of seven years, right? So you get to 49 years. And in the 50th year, it's the year of Jubilee, and there's this like reset button kind of deal. The lands rest, there's, there's times to let the land rest throughout that time. And, and then, so that's kind of on a big level, but on a, on a smaller level, we, we experience this as human beings on a daily basis as well. We weren't made to go all the time, to consume all the time, to be distracted all the time. So we wake up and we engage for several hours. And then we go to sleep. Uh, for some of us, who, as we get older, that sleep comes faster and more often, you know? Like, but, you know, like, I need a nap now in the afternoons. But, you know, like, maybe if you're young, you could go for a couple of days. But then eventually all of us crash because we're made for these rhythms. You can go for a little while, and then you need to rest. My guess is that we need those kinds of still moments not just when we crash and fall asleep, but also 
throughout the day at meaningful times. Listen, when was the last time you were like in a line at a restaurant or something or in a waiting room at a doctor's office or there was a pause in a conversation around the dinner table and you didn't do this? We don't know how to be still. This is a, a difficult thing, but my, my sense is that we need those micro moments throughout the day. I was listening to a podcast a couple weeks ago because I was trying to fill in all this time in my life, you know, with extra stuff while I was driving. And, and uh, he was talking about how, how much we need some of these, these micro moments of stillness. And, and he said, our bodies are made to process trauma in these moments of stillness. And for centuries and millennia, human beings have had these long stretches of time throughout the day where we can just like, figure out life, like where our bodies and minds can make sense of what's happening around us. And so a lot of times you'll, you'll experience that when you're sleeping, right? Your mind gets into this mode where it's making all these random weird kinds of connections. And, and what that is, is your mind saying, okay, you took a lot in today. Let me try and file this and make sense of it. And like, and, and we need those times during the day as well, where we just are still and even more so We need these times, not just where we're still, but where we are still in the presence of and knowledge of our maker. Like deliberately where we just come into God's presence and say, God, I'm going to sit here in your presence and I'm not going to contribute anything. I'm just going to let you be God and I'm going to let you pour into me. I'm going to be in your presence. There's There's a great illustration of the difference between a worried and distracted life and a still life in Luke's gospel, in Luke chapter 10. And um, I, I would ask you to pull out your phones and turn there in your Bible app, but then, you know, it would just kind of be weird. So uh, we're going to go the opposite direction. Um, can we just black out the screen? Tony, on the right-hand corner, there's just a, so we're going to forget the screens. It's just me and you. And, uh, and if you have a physical Bible or want to find one, maybe there are some under the seats in front of you. You can pull one out, Luke chapter 10. If you don't have one, just be still, and I'll tell you the story, Okay. Uh, so Jesus is on his way. This is a story right after the story of the Good Samaritan, uh, where Jesus is talking about what it looks like to actively serve and love a neighbor, right? And what it looks like to be a neighbor as well. And, and the very next story in Luke's gospel is Luke chapter 10, verses 38 through 42. And he goes in to a house uh, that Martha owns. And so I want to read you the story in verse 38. As Jesus and his disciples were on their way, he came to a village where a woman named Martha opened her home to him. She had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet and listened to what he said. But Martha was distracted by all the preparations that had to be made. She came to him and asked, Lord, Don't you care that my sister has left me to do the work by myself? Tell her to help me. And I don't want to pause right here because 
my sense is when we're reading this story, and a lot of you are familiar with this, and you know what's coming next, and, and, and yet you know, like I know, that Martha tends to be the one that we most easily identify with in our culture. I mean, we've just been talking about how easy it is for us to be worried and distracted. I mean, we've got so much to do, so many different things, you know, meals and laundry and cleaning and work and all of the different notifications and screen things that we fill our minds with. We're so distracted. Martha, same way. She's distracted. Her stuff is meaningful stuff. I mean, she's practicing hospitality. Or she's trying to practice hospitality. Uh, and, and so she's trying, to, she's trying to serve the people who are there. And, and she gets frustrated because imagine if you're Martha. You're doing all this stuff. You're stressed out. You've got all these things to, to work on. And your sister is sitting down. Uh, on the job, you know, like sitting at the Lord's feet. We, we, I can see myself going to Jesus and, Jesus, come on, what, what's going on here? Now, uh, you do a little background study on this scripture and you find that culturally, this was one of those times when uh, the whole scene was, was out of whack. Um, there were all these male disciples around this male rabbi and one woman. And that was odd because in that day, women were not allowed to even sit at the feet of a rabbi while he was teaching. Um, Jesus didn't care about these kinds of things. You, you have to remember that Jesus was around before that culture was around. And when he made man and woman, he made them to look each other in the eyes, right? And so he made them equal. And so Jesus, though, is plopped down in the middle of this culture and he's got Mary sitting there with him. And when Martha comes in and says, Jesus, this isn't right. She's supposed to be helping me in the kitchen. And everybody says, she's got a point, Jesus. That's the way we do things around here, you know? Everybody is expecting Jesus to say, that's right, Mary, you need to be helping your sister. He would be reasonable to say something like this in that day and age. And yet, he says something completely different. It's familiar to us, but it was a lightning rod in that room. It was completely unexpected. Martha, Martha, the Lord answered, you are worried and upset about many things, but few are needed. Indeed, only one thing is needed. Everybody's dropping their utensils, putting down their stuff, taking that, putting down their notepads. I'm sorry, what? Listen to this again. Imagine Jesus saying this to you. Fill in your name. You are worried and upset about many things, but few things are needed. Indeed, only one thing is needed. Mary has chosen what is better, and it will not be taken from her. Now you think about this here. Jesus says this radical statement. It's coming right on the heels of the Good Samaritan, which was another radical kind of a story. And a lot of scholars will say that these stories belong together because they're like two sides of the coin of a, uh, of a Christian life, one of active loving service and another of stillness in the presence of God. And that both are needed. There needs to be some sort of balance and, and uh, back and forth in, in a fully developed Christian life. But Jesus says this, 
to Martha, and, and he really puts a finger on an issue. Listen, it's not what Martha was doing was bad or that Mary or any of the guys couldn't have gotten up and done good by Martha and helped her in the kitchen. It's that there's this priority thing going on. And she was treating all of the things she was doing like they were the only thing in the world to be done while there was something that was better that could be being done at that moment in time. And that was sitting down and attending to the word of the Lord and being still in his presence. Here's, here's the thing. I mentioned that the Good Samaritan story and, and the story of Mary and Martha, a lot of scholars say that they belong together because there are these two sides of the Christian life. And, and you know this and I know this, that, that obviously we are called to love and love requires action and love requires picking up people off the side of the road sometimes as in the Good Samaritan story and putting them up in a hotel and tending to their wounds and the, meeting real needs, right? Those, those are action kinds of things. They take effort and energy and, and that kind of stuff. But in the Christian life, if all we ever do is action and activity, eventually all that stuff will become meaningless and empty. All of our Christian activity or anything that we do in our life, if it's going to be full of meaning and effective and accomplish what it's intended to accomplish, then it must begin from and flow out of the kind of posture that Mary gets in before the Lord. That all of our activity ends up being informed. Listen, if Mary would have, if Martha would have said, I'm going to take 10 or 15 minutes, the stuff in the kitchen will be there when I get back. I'll do it. But Jesus is talking right now, and I want to hear what he has to say first. And then I'll get to that. Then it would have been awesome, right? So she learns this lesson here. There's this quote that gets attributed to Abraham Lincoln. Um, uh, about chopping down trees. I don't know if any of you have heard it. I don't even know if he said it, but it gets attributed to him. And, and Abraham Lincoln said, if somebody came up to me and asked and told me I had six hours to chop down a tree, I would spend the first four hours sharpening my ax. Now, this is like this pr productivity kind of quote or whatever, but the, I think it applies here. If, if you have six hours to get something done or 13 hours in a day or however many hours that you're awake, the most important thing you can do to get all of that stuff done well is to start by being still. And then regularly throughout the day, sit down at the Lord's feet, be still in his presence, listen to what he might be speaking, and then let your activity and energy flow out of that. I want to I set up this response for us today. Uh, the reality is we come in and we hear a message and I beat everybody over the head about how much we're on our phones and I'm on my phone and all these different kinds of things that we're distracted by. And, and we all walk out and say, yeah, we've got to do better about that. Uh, I wonder what's on Facebook today. So, you know, like this is, it's, it's because it's a habit and it's a pattern and this is the, the rhythm of our life that we're in. So you, I know this and I'm not going to walk out uh, and anything, have anything be different unless we make a deliberate choice to do something different before we go. So I want to challenge you this week. I'm not going to say change the rest of your life forever, but one week. Would you take one week and make some sort of fasting commitment this week? 
in order that you might be able to put something down. Fasting is this Christian discipline where we, we put something down, we abstain from something uh, in order that we might give our attention to something else. So a lot of times it happens with food. You skip a meal so that you can pray or something like that. But this week, I, I want us to fast from worry and distraction somehow. So whatever that looks like for you, maybe it's like four hours in front of Fox News telling you everything that you need to be worried about and distracted by in the world. And you say, listen, that's not doing me any good as in a spiritual place. And so I'm going to lay that down this week uh, or whatever news outlet you have or whatever, you know, like maybe it's that. Maybe um, for you, it's a smartphone thing. And that's what it is for me. I'll just be uh, transparent with you here today. Uh, it's become a problem, like how much I've got my phone in front of my face. And so uh, this morning I prayed through and, and committed that this week I put all my apps in, in like boxes and put them on, off of my front screen. And uh, I think I'm going to try and find a wallpaper that says be still or something. For, so that's the only thing I see on my front screen. And this week I'm going to use my phone only the way I would have used a flip phone 15 years ago or 10 years ago. Right? Oh, man. <laughs> So if you email me, I'm probably not going to answer you. Uh, so um, what is it for you, though, maybe? Maybe you turn off all your notifications. Maybe you set specific times during the day where you are going to check in and then leave it in a drawer the rest of the day. You know, whatever. I'm not going to say it is for you, what it is for you, but what we're trying to get to is laying something down so that we're not as worried and distracted as we were so that we can give our attention to the Lord who is speaking all the time he's speaking wants to pour into our lives, wants to embrace us with his love, wants to help us sit down in that rhythm of creation where there is work and then there's stillness, but there's not worry and distraction everywhere all the time. And so we want to encourage you to do that. Mine's cell phone, maybe yours is TV, maybe yours is Netflix, you know? Uh, maybe it's, it's that last hour ritual where you're holding your phone, laying in bed like this, you know, or something and playing your games, whatever it is. Like, like just take a few of those minutes. Um, we're trying to recover some of those 50 hours that we're losing to screens and whatever other distractions you have. Um, we want to help you also with this. We went out and, um, and made these little charm bracelet things. Um, so guys, these will be really helpful for you. Uh, you can put them on your charm bracelets, Bo, I know, especially you. We're um, going to want to do this. <laughs> And it's just this, it's the circle thing, but it does have a hole in it if you want to put it on something. And we pounded the words, be still, into it. You know, it's interesting. I hadn't thought about this until now, actually, but we're sitting out on the garage floor, like hammering and pounding these things out. Um, it, it reminds me this morning that being still doesn't just appear on this thing on accident. And you and I are a little bit like that. I mean, you've got to pound stillness into us sometimes. And uh, maybe you can just remember that. Uh, we've got one for everybody. They're in this, this bucket up here this morning. Ashley and Brian, I want to invite you guys to, to come. They're going to play a little song about being still while you come. And this week, every time that you're tempted to go to your thing, whatever it is that's distracting you on a regular basis, what I'd love for you to do is carry this around in your pocket and, and instead of reaching for that, reach for this. So this is going to be in my right-hand pocket this week. Um, in fact, I'm just going to replace this right now. Uh, that's where my phone usually goes. Now, this is where my reminder to be still in the presence of God goes. 
And uh, you, can, you can feel where it says, be still. You don't even have to take it out. Just remind yourself in that moment. And then in the practice of fasting, when you're putting something else down, use that time when you're tempted to go there to bring your attention to the Lord. And maybe it's just a simple breath prayer for you in that moment. Maybe it's Psalm 46.10, be still and know that I am God. Um, would you stand uh, this morning? We're going to play a little music. I want to invite everybody to come up and get a, a little charm thing. And then if you came prepared to give this morning, then we want to ask you to go ahead and do um, engage in worship in that way. There's a basket right here. And then after the song, I'm going to lead us in a, a time of stillness. So be ready for that. All right, come. Be still my heart and know And letting all my weakness show He provides a place for me to go He lifts me off the ground I quiet down and rest And He restores my hope again I lift my eyes and look to Him He lifts me off the
the Lord is with us this morning. And it is good for us to be still in his presence for a few more moments. Uh, I want to walk with you through um, just a time of quiet. We're going to put some instrumental music on here in just a minute. And I don't want to let you off the hook this morning. I want you to take the next four or five minutes and be still before the Lord and ask the question, what is it, Lord? What is it that you want me to put aside this week and how do you want that to look? And as God brings something to your mind, form into your mind a sentence of response, Lord, I will give this and attend to you this week what it's going to look like. Decide now, because I promise you the minute those back doors open, every part of the world is going to start screaming your name again. And we have to decide now. So you can be seated or you can come and pray. We're going to bring the lights down and, and we're going to put some music on and then I'll lead us um, in a closing prayer together. So take some moments this morning and be still. <laughs> 